This episode is brought to you in part by Practice Solutions. You need a biller that you can trust. A good biller is going to save you time, money, and most importantly, the stress of trying to do it all yourself. You can work with Jeremy Zug and his amazing team at Practice Solutions by going to practicesoul.com forward slash John. That's practicesoul.com forward slash John. Fill out the form, get in touch with them for a free consultation. They're going to do amazing things for you and your business, and I'm so excited to be partnering with them for this show. Also, stay tuned um, for the Get Seen Summit coming up October 19th in Philadelphia. There's still time to grab your ticket and come work with me there. We're going to teach you how to become your own digital marketing consultant and get, get control of your digital marketing once and for all. It's going to be a great time. So again, go to GetSeenSummit.com to grab your ticket there while you still can. That's GetSeenSummit.com. All right, let's dive in. In this episode, I'm sitting down with Jeremy Zug, the co-owner of Practice Solutions, amazing, amazing billing company, one that I know, like, and trust very much. Uh, it's a great episode. We talk all about the billing ins and outs. He's incredibly knowledgeable knowledgeable about his stuff. So I think you're going to like this episode a lot. So without further ado, let's get into it. Jeremy Zug from Practice Solutions. Jeremy Sugg, welcome to the show. Jeremy is the owner, founder? One of the partners of Practice Solutions. One of the partners of Practice Solutions. Yeah, thanks, John. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. It's a good thing you knew how to introduce yourself because clearly I didn't. (laughs) Well, I do it a little bit, so not that seasoned at it. I probably should have asked you how you want to be introduced before we dive in, but... um, That's okay. No worries, man. It's always good to see how other people might label you, you know? Yeah, that's that's a good thing. Get the temperature of the water there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, until it becomes really negative. It's funny because when when I was... uh, when I used to work in, in San Francisco with um, teenagers in the community and we would see like their friends out in the community and stuff like at a bus stop or in the park or whatever. And it was always funny to see how the teenagers would introduce me depending on the context. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> this is my friend, John. Yeah. This is a guy I know. <laughs> and people are like, why are you hanging out with the dude who's twice your age? He's like, yeah, yeah that's, that's... this is my friend. This is my... Uh, <laughs> This is my uh, my mentor. This is my mentor. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, friend of a friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I gotcha. It's like my estranged right. uncle, even though we look nothing alike. And ooh, yeah, that's I'm tough. Right. <laughs> yeah, but um, well, tell tell folks a little bit about who you are. Yeah, so I uh, am one of the partners of Practice Solutions. Um, Catherine is the other partner. She's my wife. Uh, which always gets a couple mixed reactions, right? It's like uh, you do business with your wife. I think I would kill my spouse if I did that. Just it's strange reaction, yeah. I think. Um, but I uh, grew up in the Pacific Northwest. Um, last, my last stay in the Pacific North, Northwest was Montana. So we did the Montana things, hiking, camping, fishing, exploring Glacier National Park. Um, and then when I decided that Montana was um, – too homogenous. I moved to Chicago to go to school, uh, which was totally different. Got off the train in Chicago and had no clue what I had done. Uh, then, then moved to Michigan with with Catherine, and we started Practice Solutions. That's like the uh, really high level view. Okay. And and how did you guys meet? We met at school. Actually, we met on the first day uh, of school, uh, and she did not like me. Um, but I, a strong start paid my dowry and she said, yes. So it was, it was good. No, (laughs) and we had a couple classes together and she, uh, I don't know, we got to talk and, and the rest is history, I guess. (laughs) But yeah, we met at school and and then got married. And, um, after we got married, we were married a sophomore year of college, if you could imagine that. So 
it was we were juggling a lot and I did billing for a practice in downtown Chicago um, and she worked at a private equity firm and we went to school and did you know real job things and then um, after How we do you got plan a wedding during college uh, you don't sleep I think I it's the, the <laughs> you get married yeah. in the library that's right. in, the, in the dining hall and your, your receptions in the dining hall and everyone has to swipe their oh yeah that's right you have to, to get in swipe to get in yeah and with <laughs> loving in-laws actually <laughs> so uh yeah that was that was a trip um yeah our in-laws did a ton of work we didn't sleep a whole lot and then we rode the mega bus from chicago to um plymouth michigan almost every week and that was that was an event so, oh, because that's where you got married. That's right. Yeah, we okay. got married in Michigan. Okay. But we uh, back then you could buy the mega bus tickets for like a buck. So we just bought out every weekend for like twenty bucks. Yeah, and isn't then we that just interesting? Wrote. Isn't that the the bus where like if you know the price goes up depending on when you buy? So like that's the right. First tickets a dollar or something. Yeah, that's right. The first couple of tickets are like a dollar, like three bucks, and then they go up to like twenty and twenty-five. But we just timed it to where we bought them all for like thirty bucks. Yeah, you and, you, uh, you guys are the reason that all the dollar tickets are gone for everyone. <laughs> everyone right. like taking the same trip week after week. Yeah, that's true. They didn't really like us, but you know, we got married, so it doesn't really matter what they think. So <laughs> <laughs> it was an event, but. Yeah, man, it was good. I mean, we got what we needed to out of Chicago, um, but Ch- Chicago is is a great diverse city. Um, but we got jobs in Michigan in a manufacturing company. Um, while I maintained some some ties to billing, and then after you know a couple colleagues uh, reached out because I worked in community mental health. I should back up. I worked in community mental health uh, when I was fourteen. So started at fourteen. Uh, working like a desk job, just receptionist kind of thing, front office work, and then started to work with patients at 18 at a group home, mm-hmm. um, and that was that was really rewarding, and that's why I wanted to get a degree in counseling. But then I maintained some of those ties after college, and they had asked me to do their billing, and that's how we sort of launched Practice Solutions. They said, I don't want you to do our billing, just you, because our liability insurance won't cover it, so you have to be an LLC. So, you know, you put up the 25, 50 bucks to start an LLC and boom, there it is. I never knew that about you. And also, it kind of makes sense because I feel like you'd be a pretty good therapist. Hey, thanks. Well, maybe for a second career, that's what I'll, that's what <laughs> I'll do. Uh, but yeah, we fell in love with the business side of private practice, actually. Like I got a job billing at this group practice downtown. Um, I just loved it. It, it was like objective I, you know you could you had a lot of agency in getting paid right you could move the numbers around depending on what you did or how much you worked and that was super rewarding yeah you're you're a rare breed <laughs> this is this is why the industry needs people more people like you <laughs> yeah because people don't love billing which is fascinating to me they you're, don't you're love like cool <laughs> details and numbers and and paperwork and this bureaucracy is, this, is, this is great give me all of it <laughs> Yeah, just give me all of it. Yeah, the bureaucracy piece is, is not super fun, yeah. you know, but you set up good systems, right? I mean, you right. know this from being a consultant. Yeah, yeah. So Yeah, I mean, I think you, you, like, the reality is there's no perfect job. And I think a lot of therapists get into private practice because it's 80% a great job or the job that they really wanted or, you know, they're trying to leave behind the difficult parts of an agency, whatever that was, whether it's the hours or the the low pay or whatever it is. And it's like, I, I don't know, there's no perfect job. There's no perfect day necessarily. And I think it's a big part of getting along in private practice is figuring out the things that you enjoy doing that give you energy that you're well suited to do and then figuring out that other kind of 20% that is that really just drives you nuts and is really um, makes you hate your job on, on more days than not yeah like one example for for us right was HR right um, trying to figure out how to how to pay the HR taxes and then liability insurance and workers comp that was making me like I, I would rather slam my head against a rusty nail in a wall than do HR work so we outsourced it right it was like one of the best decisions we could have made <laughs> seems to be like 25 hours a month and I'm like uh, yeah totally worth it yeah, yeah. 
So you made, um, and tell us about this transition between working in manufacturing and then did you wake up one day and say, I want to start a billing company? Was it something you started to do on the side? Yeah, it was more that second thing. So I was a quality manager for a manufacturing company here and oversaw the quality programs for two sites, one in Ann Arbor and one in Bowling Green, Kentucky, uh, and traveled between the two sites. And I learned a ton about systems and, and how to you know, set up business processes in a, an efficient, lean way. Um, but then, yeah, those colleagues from Community Mental Health reached out and they said exactly what you just said, sick of the hours, the low pay, right? Management saying work 40 hours a week in sessions and also get your notes done and we're not paying for overtime, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, you, you laugh because it kind of like rings true. It's too real. Um, <laughs> it's too real. <laughs> and so they called, they called me and they said, well, we're filling out claim forms by hand. We need help. And so... Yeah, that was that was it. So it was supposed to just be on the side thing in addition to our full-time job. And then we just inherited a bunch of clients in that same area and it became a full-time thing. So, and I, I enjoyed doing that more than um, the quality management piece. And so that's what I decided to do. At what point did you kind of embrace this idea that you would become, you know, a full-time business owner and in, in, in transitioning from a full-time employee? Yeah, when yeah, when I was thinking more about uh, practice solutions than my full time job, yeah. so when I found myself that's, that's uh, a good good measure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you know you, you make the transition however you can, right? And so I found myself at my day job thinking about practice solutions, and I wasn't fully committed to my full time job, um, and I would rather just be fully committed to one thing. So that's that's how I made the decision to transition over, and you just make it work. Mm-hmm. You just hustle. Yep. And then it figures itself out. I like that because um, I was literally sitting with a, a coaching client yesterday. A therapist has been open for about a year. And, um, you know, she she kept coming back to this question of like, is this normal? Am I where I should be with this business yet? Um, sh- how should I feel at this point? Should I still mm-hmm. be stressed? Um, all these questions <laughs> of like... Um, you know, am I there yet? Mm. And really, you know, yeah. my response was, we're, we're never really there. We've never really <laughs> arrived. And <laughs> even five years from now, when you've nailed down a lot of parts of your business, there's going to be new challenges that arise. Yeah. There's going to be new stuff or the, the target is going to keep moving because you're going to move your goals, right? So the goal that you had at some point to be full time in your own business, you hit that, you hit that target and then that target moved again. And we have to right. be okay with kind of grinding our way to that next target. Yeah, the the shifting floor is sort of the normal. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's I don't know, stability is, uh, I think, a myth in a lot of ways in business ownership, right? Because there's always a different thing that comes up, right? When, when you've mastered one complication, another one just pops up, right? And then it's a different skill set and works a different part of your brain and you have to read new books on it and you just keep acquiring these skills. And if you keep plugging away, right, you acquire this bank of skills that helps with most everything, even when the target shifts, right? And I think that's the, I, I think that's what people mean when they say, have I arrived yet, mm-hmm. right? It's like, have I acquired all the skills? Well, the, the answer is no, right? Everybody's always acquiring those skills. For so, sure. So since you have been, um, you've been doing this a while now for therapists and doing it full time, um, and with a with a great team behind you, what have you learned about billing for therapists, billing in private practice? Yeah, I've we've learned that there's um, well, there's a multiple ways of doing billing, right? There's multiple ways of credentialing. Um, I can tell you that that we've seen almost every way there is to do billing, right? We do billing for almost uh, it's over 300 practices at this point, right? That seems like a small number compared to the, the amount of practices in the country. But I think I've seen almost every system of doing billing, right? There are the folks that credential everybody under a tax ID and an MPI type two. There are folks that uh, hire contractors that are their own individual practices within an umbrella brand. Um, there are folks that own real estate and then contract uh, clinicians to fill up space, and then they also offer those administrative things. And I can tell you that fundamentally, th- there are systems of doing billing 
that at some point require more administrative work than your profit margins will allow, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, looking at your margins, making sure that you're actually making something, uh, looking at the expenses is the biggest thing, right? That's huge. And, and it really, it it speaks in part to billing, but in larger part to your business model or uh, for for a lot of folks, their group practice model. Let's let's yeah. just let's break down a few of those, right? Because and this is a very uh, a highly contended you know topic in private practices. <laughs> should I do independent contractors? Should I do W twos? Yeah. If so, what should the split be? Should I do a tier? Should I do a flat rate? And I think what happens is therapists start one way, they get kind of stuck in that way of doing it, and a lot of times they make a shift or they go from um, you know a tiered split in a group practice for contractors and they switch to W twos take on more expenses, whatever, have different reimbursement rates, um, right. change their overhead, and then all of a sudden their margins are nowhere to be found. But let, let's just <laughs> talk to some of the some of the different ways you've seen and, and maybe some of the, the not so great ways or the more difficult problematic ways. Yeah, I, I can tell you this. Um, just looking at the archetypes of practice owners that I interact with on a daily basis, mm-hmm. the the folks that do the W-2 route that pay a flat fee per session are never stressed about payroll or HR. I can tell you that much, right? Unless something is truly wrong with the billing um, or the credentialing, they're never stressed about payroll, they're never stressed about insurance revenue because it comes in. Generally, they've done the math well enough to where they position themselves to never worry about the profit margin. Um, so the folks that do that never call me about payroll, timing, cash flow. The folks that always have a cash split or like a percentage split um, call me very regularly or call our staff very regularly about how to do payroll. Uh, how do I manipulate the numbers in the EHR so that I pay them accurately? How do I do this and that, right? So the percentage split offers, uh, in my estimation, a higher, uh, perhaps a higher stress quotient uh, than, than the other type. So that's the first thing. Uh, but a percentage split makes sense because it's variable. So that, that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I will say is the folks that do credentialing where there are individual practices under a, a brand, under an umbrella, at some point as that group, as a group practice like that scales, you will need at least two full-time people and you will make significantly less than somebody who has you know, two or three high paying insurance companies uh, and W-2 employees. At least that's what I've seen to be true. Mm-hmm. So another big question that's, that seems to come up is, um, I remember the first time I heard a, a, group, a group practice center saying, well, I'm not gonna make payroll this month. Meaning basically she's paying out her clinicians more than, than they've actually brought in. Or there's this, the, these timeline snags between clinician did a session maybe and submitted for that session hasn't been mm-hmm. paid out yet. Now group practice owner is paying clinician for that session, even though that, that reimbursement hasn't come through yet. How do you, how do you manage those, um, those moving parts? KPIs, man, fundamentally it's all about KPIs, right? Speaking you need to my language, dude. Did you do your homework? Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Well, yeah, man. <laughs> well, we got to do can't tell you how much we've been talking about KPIs on our, on this show lately. Oh, my it's gosh. been, been I mean, preaching we... the good word. Yeah, man, you got to preach that good word. So you got to do KPIs, right? Um, And we do KPIs in our organization, not only for practice solutions, but we also do KPIs for the practices that we manage, right? Um, How quickly do claims pay out? What percentage of what you bill are you actually getting paid? What should that be industry standard? How much of my aging should be past 120 days? What percentage of that should be past 90 days? Um, which insurance companies are costing me more per claim than other insurance companies, right? So like, let's take insurance company X that pays $60 a session. Well, as you grow and add expenses, right, your margin shrinks. And so for insurance company X, at some point in your group practice, right, we could draw that model for you, um, where that reimbursement is costing you more than what you're making, you know? And those are things that folks don't think about. They just think $60 an hour is a great payout. And at a certain size, it's just not. It's not tenable. Yeah. You know, so you, you have to know the data. You have to run the KPIs. You have to monitor them very closely. But chiefly, you have to know what to measure on the billing so, end. Anyway. 
Yeah, and let's talk a little bit more about that because I um, I teach a lot about the KPIs and uh, I, I'm, I'm known largely for um, being kind of the marketing guy, the digital marketing guy among practice coaches and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my KPIs and then this, this spreadsheet template that I offer to therapists has a lot to do with monitoring your group practice numbers, obviously your clinicians, mm-hmm. how many of the clients they've seen, how many sessions were completed for the whole practice this week, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and making sure that we have those numbers on hand. And then the next part is really about it. It's really to, to, to measure and diagnose issues around your marketing. So the number of inquiries you've gotten this week, how many of those inquiries were converted, right? So the, your conversion rate, looking at your website's conversion rate between web traffic and inquiries. So calculating yeah. numbers like that, looking at web traffic, Google Analytics, yeah. um, Google AdWords, et cetera. So we, we, we're try, we incorporate a lot of that stuff so therapists can really take the pulse in their marketing because if you don't have inquiries, you don't have revenue. If you don't have revenue, you don't have a business. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I would even go as far, John, as to say, and I will, I will make this argument, that if you don't set the KPI numbers in quarter three and quarter four and then monitor them throughout the year, you're not running a business. The business is running you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. just and constantly I, trying to catch up to this thing that feels always. like a big question mark. Yeah. Always. And one thing that hit Practice Solutions, was we, we have a, a small board. And so one of our board members is a managing director at Accenture. And um, he helped us do our projections and forecasting um, last year. And it hit us hard. Like, you're not running a business until you know yeah. um, this stuff, right? And he runs a 20 to $50 million business unit. And he's like, well, look, if you don't have these kind of numbers and goals right. and KPIs, it's running you, right? You can't really call yourself totally. a, a business owner until you know this stuff. And it takes a lot of data, which is one thing that I find that therapists – don't enjoy doing intrinsically. Uh, it takes a lot of uh, external motivation to get that done. Yeah, I think therapists struggle to set it up or to know where to begin. Um, right. I Correct. think there, you know therapists uh, and I was. Um, we're going to have uh, Greg Higdon on the show soon. Kelly Higdon's husband, who's uh, has a bookkeeping business, and we talked about um, some therapists even just needing to get a profit and loss statement under their belt. Mm-hmm. And looking at something as simple as what's coming in, oh. what are you spending, what's your net profit? In other words, totally. what's your paycheck? But for bringing it back to KPIs around billing, let's say a therapist mm-hmm. either has maybe the KPIs that, that I teach here that I just kind of overviewed, or they have no KPIs at all. Where do they start? And when they're working with you, your team, how do you help with that or interface with, with those KPIs? Yeah, it just depends on the goals of the practice. But I would say there are you know, four or five fundamental KPIs you need to track. Uh, One is the percentage of your outstanding, uh, your AR, right, accounts receivables, past a certain day amount, right? So Can you slow all that down and just really break it down for us? Because even the words accounts receivable is going to be new to a lot of people. Got it. So uh, as you submit a claim, that claim will age until the insurance company processes the claim, right? That time frame is called accounts receivable. So from the time you submit a claim to the time an insurance company processes it, there's a there's a time limiting factor there, right? And that's something every EHR, electronic health record, tracks, right? And so as you're a big group practice, it's possible to have $10,000 that's aging past 60 days or 90 days or 120 days. Um, and from the billing perspective, it's important because it determines your cash flow. Right. And cash flow is very important. Right. That's how you run your business. So um, you want to track what is like how much of that is aging. Right. An industry standard says if you have 25 percent of your total outstanding revenue past 120 days, you're considered healthy. So let that number sink in for a second. So one fourth of all your revenue can be past four months and you're considered healthy. Mm-hmm. In my mind, that's a ridiculous figure, right? Yeah, it should, that was, that's my first reaction. Totally. It should be 0%, right? 100% of your outstanding revenue should be between 0 and 60 days, right? Um, that's that's our goal. That's where we want to keep it because that means that claims are getting followed up on, processed, all that stuff. Um, one Another thing you, you want to track, right, is um, your contracted rate or the, the rate that you agreed to with your insurance company. Is this the second KPI? This is the second KPI, yeah. You want to track your average 
your average uh, reimbursement rate, right, between the insurance company and your patient responsibility, right? So whatever the insurance company pays you plus a copay or a coinsurance is what you would look at. Uh, the third thing is a uh, well, third and fourth things are just straight counts. How many denials do you get in a month? And a denial is you submit a claim to the insurance company and they say uh, authorization wasn't obtained for this session or the patient's not active with us, right? So that's a straight count, right? Just one, two, three, four, or five in a month. Um, and then the other one is rejection. So um, the claims that don't even get to the insurance company, right? So sometimes people will submit a claim through an EHR and what's called the clearinghouse, fancy word for a third party that sends data to an insurance company, will send it back to you and say, uh, your insurance ID is wrong, go get it from the patient, right? That claim didn't even make it to the insurance company to process. And that's also a straight count. I feel um, like I, you know, I, sh I could have been tracking some of these KPIs, um, in my dating life back when I was single. Just, it would have been <laughs> handy to have these metrics or someone like you going, okay, you had four, oh. you had four denials. <laughs> and three rejections. Three rejections. Uh, you're doing better. <laughs> Go to the gym more or something. <laughs> yeah. uh, put on deodorant. Uh, you'll get to watch <laughs> that, that go. Um, so so let's just review. Percentage of the aging past a certain amount, yeah, straight count on denial, straight count on rejection. Um, and then here's the last one I would say. So there's the amount that you charge per hour if a patient were to just walk in your door, right? Or what we call the cash rate, right? Or your private pay fee. Those two terms are synonymous. Okay. Um, so let's say you, let's say John Clark bills $100 to the insurance company, but insurance company X only approves, only allows 60 bucks, right? And you have to lose that 40 bucks, right? Because you've agreed on your contract that I'm gonna take $60 for every session, right? You wanna track the difference between those two numbers. So if you bill $100, what percentage of that $100 are you gonna be able to collect? And again, industry standard says 60% of what you bill, you should be able to collect. Again, a terrible number, <laughs> right? because yeah, where are you finding that other 40%? Right. Out of your own pocket or your cash reserve or what you've already right. paid your clinicians with. That's right. And and a lot of practice owners we find don't know that number. And that number is really important because if you bill $10,000 and collect, you know, 6000 well, then you have to plan for that, right? You're not going to get 10000 You're going to get six at best, right? It seems like uh, and this could be, uh, this is just, uh, I don't know, a stereotype, I guess, but it seems like some insurance companies tend to make it as difficult as possible to get reimbursed, whether it's reimbursing the practice itself or, um, in my experience, some of the super bill process for out-of-network claims. They really nitpick over details. <laughs> they will nitpick over a single digit or a zero or yeah. a period here in order yeah. to potentially save money or just add, I don't know, multiple steps in the process, which I, I do see it overwhelming therapists and clients for that matter who are going through the, the, the super bill process. Um, is, does it seem like that, is that a real thing? Uh, it's tough to gauge the intentions of an insurance company, right? Yeah. Because you know an insurance company is pretty ambiguous. I will say that most companies start with their profit margin and then they work backward with the business processes from there. So it's very possible. I will say that you know, this whole billing and insurance related system, the last study I saw was released in 2015, I think. And at that time, billing and insurance related costs in the United States totaled $127 billion of wasted provider time. It's, that's crazy. It's yeah, over this kind of thing, right? Yeah. And, and this is the problem, right? Because the, the claim process in the United States healthcare system is, uh, surrounds reimbursement, not mm -hmm. care to the patient. Right. Right. So like you look at a claim form and it doesn't, it doesn't tell you any meaningful information other than trying to get that claim paid for, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's an unfortunate thing. But if you are, if you are off on any of those small details, they will deny the claim. Right. And that's, that's an important thing to track, but practices can set up you know, automated systems or, you know, really lean systems to catch that stuff. And so you don't lose out on that. And that's really our job, right, is to come in with, 
you know, a playbook essentially with these processes that catch this stuff and, and don't waste that money and save the provider time and headache. And, um, it does involve, you know, provider involvement, but at the end of the day, we want to catch it all. Yeah. My, I mean, my perspective is that for a lot of, you know, a lot of kind of B2B services, business to business services, um, you know, my, my AdWords team, for one, at Unconditional Media, we, we aim for the business to at least in, in part pay for itself. And um, I know, so one, one particular therapist that um, I was working with and we saw a lot of issues in this therapist billing and accounts receivable and she was somewhere in the in the range of between ten and twenty thousand dollars I don't know what you would call it in yeah waiting aging, for, aging. yeah aging yeah. Um, and still paying those clinicians out and you all worked some sort of magic to get that money <laughs> paid yeah it's just plugging away okay you know at the end of the day it's it's just manpower right it's just it's just yeah it, it it wears you down as a group practice owner and a clinician a lot of group practice owners have their own caseloads etc and at some point they get so in the weeds with billing stuff that perhaps they just give up and just right pay their clinicians and they just it takes up it takes a fair amount of grit to yeah. carry this stuff over to the finish line and in clinicians right you get this stuff i mean you're up to your eyeballs in clinical work right and then you have to run this business and then there's billing stuff and it's like holy cow how am i supposed to keep up um and with us it's like well you know we have the grit and time to sit on hold for an hour uh and get these claims processed or deal with the bureaucracy right without having to worry about the clinical work and right, it's and little, that's it, it's a little easier because it's not yours. You know, there's something like almost emotional right. about it when right. these are your claims, your clients, your practice, and you're going through all this stuff and and having to kind of go to bat for yourself. It's really nice to have someone do it on your behalf or a team like yours do it on on their behalf. That's right. Yeah, we do find that to be the case. You know, clinical work oftentimes interferes with the billing work. You know, it's like, oh, I know this person can't afford it. And then our job is to say, well, you know, you, you can't really write off deductibles and co-pays ad nauseum because uh, it's not legal. Right. And then folks struggle with that. And we help to figure out solutions for, for that issue. That's a that's a big one we deal with on a regular basis. Uh, and I understand that. Right. I mean, we want to help people. We want to make care affordable and accessible. Um, but there are rules to this stuff. Right. And, and that's sort of our job to help keep the boundary of, of reimbursement. Right. Because my my first objective is in a lot of ways, to, well, in almost every way to the practice. Right. My my success is intrinsically tied to the success of the practice. Yep. And I, I like that because I feel like you all you all kind of embed yourselves into the teams of these group practices that you work for and the ones that, um, that the coaching clients of mine that I've sent your way is, um, they are interfacing with you all regularly. They describe you all like you're on their team, which is awesome and exactly I, how it should be. I think so. I mean, I, I don't like the models of billing where the biller is just like incommunicado um, the clinician sends a document off to X and then just doesn't hear from them and somehow magically gets paid. I, I like the high touch, uh, accountable, transparent model that we've set up um, because there's nothing to hide really. You know, I mean, you, you can't really hide there. And I would hope that these folks would put me on an org chart or anybody in our team on an org chart um, because we're all trying to row in the same direction mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, this success um you know both parties are kind of mutually motivated i feel like um to 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 see success and in, in the outcome i think i think more than anything therapists also need we need to feel cared for we need to feel like we're a little less alone in this whole thing and again mm-hmm. i i know this through the hundreds of therapists we've we've served at unconditional media um yeah therapists need to feel less alone they need to feel like yeah. they have an ally in this and i feel like that's that's part of what you all provide beyond the technical stuff and the billing codes and the, you know what I mean? The, the nitty gritty. Right. And it's, it's nice cause we, you know, we've set it up to where we, we charge a percentage of collected revenue, right? So if there's a problem with the claims processing, uh, that's, you know, 
<laughs> that's on us as much as it is on anybody else to figure out, right? Which is one of the common misconceptions about hiring a biller, right? It's like, well, I could, you know, pay somebody $8 an hour to do this in-house. Well, yeah, you could, right? But that has the tendency to get complacent, right? Or I could hire a company X to do it by the claim, right? right? Where right. you just charge them for claim submission, but who gives a hoot about your reimbursement if they're just getting paid based on your volume of claims submitted and not your reimbursement, mm -hmm. right? So it, that's like a, that is a very common misconception about like, oh, well, if I have this biller, then X will happen. Well, it's no, we need to look at what's motivating the team. Totally. I, I want to ask you a question um, that's going to be highly controversial. And if you don't want to answer it, we'll just edit it out. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, sounds good. We never edit on this show, just so you know. Perfect. <laughs> so you've got one shot. No, the right. question, it's not that controversial. I can see how nervous you are. <laughs> as, okay, as, gosh, I got a heart it? palpitation right there. Yeah, it's okay. So. We can work through that. Sure. Um, I feel and, tell, and I feel strongly that our industry is grossly underpaid. Grossly underpaid reimbursed. When I look at, when I went to the dentist a couple months ago and I saw my own claim for how much he earned for his 30 minute exam with me, yeah. um, it, it just reminded me of that point that I really, that I really feel like clinicians are underpaid. Now I'm not trying to pull you into that, <laughs> that like soapbox, so to speak, but I know that some clinicians have had success in asking for higher rates from insurance companies. Is there a trick to that? Do you see, uh, you know, at what point do you go back to an insurance company and say, look, we're, well, I don't even know what you say, like how you start that negotiation. But I, I do know that it happens. And I always feel like a cheerleader when I see it happening and like right on, like you're kicking yeah. ass. You're, you're, there's something like, yeah. you know, very, it's like justice to the world when, when I see that happening. Yeah, from a micro level, um, so I'll, I'll say this, uh, reimbursement, th there is an equation for reimbursement, right? Th there is actual numbers and whatever that go into what insurance companies pay to providers. Now, what I'll say on a bigger- What that equation looks like? Because I, I would have no um, idea what goes into that. I, I could send it to you. Uh, mm -hmm. we, could, we could also go over, over it, but mm -hmm. in a broad level, they look at uh, what are the costs to run a business, what are commensurate values for your geography? How many practices are in your area? And then they multiply that by a conversion factor, and that's how they get their reimbursement, right? But on a bigger level, on a perhaps more important level, it all comes down to value, right? What is the culture value? And a lot of it comes down to culture, yeah. right? We value dentists perhaps more than we value therapy. Mm -hmm. Well, sure. why is that, right? Because, well, it's tangible, right? In some ways, it's tangible. Um, you know, but with every, you know, school shooting or whatever piece of legislation that's passed and therapy gains more traction and validity and the value of therapy is seen more in the culture, you'll start to see that change. So that's like a broad sweeping thought. Um, on a micro level, it's all about outcomes with insurance companies. Mm -hmm. Can you prove that you are adding a lot of value to our members, right? Our insurance clients um, compared to other insurance companies, right? So if insurance company X pays you $60 a session and insurance company Y pays you $100 a session, but you see more insurance company X clients, right? You, you could make a case to that insurance company that I see way more of your members, but you're paying me way less. So I add more value to, to you and your company and your members than over here, right? Because ultimately the, the insurance companies are trying to provide a good consumer experience for their subscribe. What do they call it? Subscribers? Yeah, or, subscribers, or, members. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. So their thing is all about patient care, right? Or at least that's what's preached. Um, so if you can prove that your patient care to their population is valuable um, and is worth more than what they're paying you, then we've seen pay raises happen all the time, right? But proving that is challenging. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and what if you get denied, I guess? What if you try to negotiate, you get flat out denied? What, what might a therapist do next? Yeah, so I would wait. 
wait on the next request. Um, I would also contact your provider area consultant. So each insurance company has a point of contact for your county, your okay. area. I did, I did and, that. Yeah, so you reach out to that person, you find out why it was denied, right? Because a, a group of folks have met and they decided to deny that, right? So then you can ask them, well, why was it denied? And find out, it's sort of like a bad grade on a test. It's like, what can I improve on on the next go round? Or what do I need to show in order to get this pushed through, right? So you can always ask, right? We live in a yeah. just ask world. So just ask them why it was denied and what you need to improve on in the next year. And then I would try again in six months, six to 12 months. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've again, I just, as a, as a person in the profession, as an advocate in the profession, I feel strongly that we have to keep asking. I think therapists have a hard time asking. I think we tend to be quote unquote people pleasers, myself included. I'm, uh, I'm in that category. So it's uncomfortable to ask. It's uncomfortable to ask any boss for a raise. <laughs> and you know, yeah, and if, if right. you're on two panels, you kind of have two bosses, right? And they're dictating yeah. how much you earn. Um, your only other option is volume, right? So out of those $60 a session clients, um, the only way to really give yourself a raise if you have that fixed amount is volume. And that's not necessarily the answer either, right? Because then, then we look at quality issues and we look at overwhelmed, burnt out therapists. So I do think um, it never hurts to ask as that's right. like my mother would say, you know, <laughs> and um, or yeah. to ask again, you know, or to come up with a more compelling argument, ask other therapists what has worked for you when you've gotten raises. Yeah. Cause again, I see letter forms and templates floating around the internet and Facebook groups and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, I just, I, I, I hope that more therapists will ask and be a little less afraid to do so. Yeah, you have, you actually have another option, right? Which is going out of network, right? So with one of the clients you sent over to us, John, we made the recommendation, we pulled the numbers, we looked at the data, saw that, you know, insurance company X paying $60 a session was not working. So we decided to go out of network. Um, and we found that most of the patients had really solid out of network benefits. They ended up paying seven, the patients ended up paying $7 more a session, mm -hmm. but the practice was able to collect the full cash rate right away. So you, they doubled, yeah. they doubled the customer value. They doubled, awesome. doubled the client value by going out of network. So that's always an option. Well, right. and, and, and uh, uh, client deductibles are, are really high nowadays. A lot of plans are deductibles so high. So they're going to hit that that number out of pocket anyway at some point. So I think a lot more people are open to, to, to private pay than ever before. Yeah. And then the other misconception is that the, du the deductible doesn't have to be paid out in one sitting, right? right? So like, let's right. say you're at a network. If they need to make payment plans, even after you've terminated services, you can do that, yeah. right? I mean, you don't yeah. have to like, it's not the full boat right away. Most people couldn't do that. ERs don't do that, right? Inpatient right. organizations are very open to payment plans, sure. right? Um, and that's always an option too, right? I hear that a lot. Like, oh, they can't afford this $3,000 bill that they've accrued. Well, that's fine. Not a lot of people could. We'll set them up on a payment plan, 100 bucks a month right. or $100 a week or, right. you know, whatever. But make sure you're getting paid for that stuff. Totally. Um, I just had a bit of an idea. I tend to have those from day to day. That's um, good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still alive. Um, well, one is that I really want to have you on in some capacity again to do like a Q&A because I feel like I've gotten some of my questions answered today, but also <laughs> I know our listeners probably have a thousand more questions that they're listening right now in the car or wherever going, mm -hmm. oh, I hope John will ask this or this would really help me in my practice. So and maybe what we can do is we can, you know, set something up or, or you guys, the listeners yeah. can send us questions and we can have you on again and do kind of a Q&A. So that way we know like we're getting into even some of this nitty gritty or some of these case by case situations, which I think are helpful because a lot of these kind of case studies like we've talked about today um, have wide applications to other kinds of practices. Yeah, so, I think that would be great. And yeah. I'd be more than happy to share like KPI templates yeah, um, or great. even like forecasting and projecting templates, right? Yeah, it's, it's complicated, huge. it's crazy math, but if you have the time and the energy to, to look at it, I really, I think it'd be really valuable, right? Yeah. One thing that I've, I've told a, a couple of folks, but like our forecasting and projecting Excel sheet um, helps us to hire to the day, yep. right? I know when I need to hire um, to, to the 24 hour period, and that helps with scaling and all kinds of stuff. Totally. So, 
Yeah, God we could totally it. talk about it. Oh, well, yeah. it also gives us you and I another reason to hang out. Yeah, that's true, and I really like hanging valuable. out with you, John. <laughs> well, we also we have a history of um, of imp- of doing improv. We do. That that is a, a, true, a long history, a, a deep history. <laughs> deep, deep, long history. That's true. And, and uh, people like our improv too. That's the other. Oh, they they eat it up. Yeah. Also, because, yeah, I think you and I are on a similar level in terms of being high caliber, high, high caliber improv. Yeah, it's, performers? it's true. I don't even know what to know? call ourselves. I, I think it's performing. Um, <laughs> yeah, we could be on a show or something. I mean, it's definitely, I consider it my craft. Yeah, me too. It's, Therapy uh, is just something a side, I put on my a side hustle. <laughs> 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 no, people are like, what the hell are you guys talking about? We So I got to meet Jeremy in person at Slowdown School in Michigan this summer, and we did some ridiculous improv. And we had some where, what was it? You, you start doing a motion like you're mixing yes. a bowl or something. Yes. And so you start a motion and you go, Jeremy, what are you doing? You go, I'm mixing a bowl. And then I have, I'm doing the same motion. You go, John, what are you doing? And I go, I'm steeping a tea bag. And then That's I go, right. Jeremy, what are you doing? I'm mixing cookie dough together. John, what are you we doing? We already said that one. <laughs> oh, shoot. And then you lose. <laughs> and then I lose. It's actually a hard We one. did that for like, that was a solid 20 minute round, I think. Yeah. People started to get really impressed with what we came up with, with yeah. our emotion. And they were all valid, too. We That's were digging deep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm punching twins in the face. Right, right. Just whatever, you know. It's yeah. Not that I have experience punching twins in the face, but this is what it would look like if I was. Um, <laughs> that was that was a lot of fun. Um, well, again, I, uh, you all have done amazing things for, um, for the therapists that I know. And it's like... it's the sigh of relief that I see therapists having when they know that you guys are handling this stuff and you're only a phone call away when something does go wrong or there's an issue or just a question. And I, uh, again, I feel like feeling a little less alone on this journey of private practice is there's a value there. There's, there's a profound value to that. That's hard to really quantify, but, but I've just would say that from my experience with you guys. Um, how my very last question as we wrap up and we're way over time we've had way too much fun today we need to get serious all of a sudden all right all right how real quick how do therapists decide when when they should hire a biller and then let's we'll talk about how to how to get in touch with you guys yeah value right um if you're a diy clinician and you feel like you can keep your head above water with everything else that you're doing uh continue to do it right um if you are getting to the point where claims are slipping, you're starting to lose revenue because people aren't keeping track of this stuff, look, look at what the value is if somebody was working on that uh, and collecting that revenue for you compared to the cost of what it would look like uh, to hire somebody to do that, right? Um, and then if you're a bigger practice than that and um, the systems aren't working, and it's time to reinvent the wheel a little bit, that's another good time to look at it. So always look at value. What are you getting yeah. out of this deal, right? Perfect. You're good at answering succinctly. Hey, thank you. That's a good candidate <laughs> for a podcast guest. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Not everyone has it. Like, so yeah. how, how should a therapist decide? They're like, well, did I tell you about that one time when I was in high school and yeah, uh, you know, and I'm like, oh, my teacher said I would never amount to anything, and yeah. now ten minutes later, I've amounted to something. They're like, let me yeah. tell you a metaphor for uh, billing. Oh, give me a break. Billing <laughs> is like a river. No, I'm just kidding. Um, oh man, just run the numbers. <laughs> it's, it's much clearer. So um, this episode, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. This episode is actually going to kick off a partnership that that we are doing with with my team, with my podcast and with you all. And so um, we have a special page for uh, listeners that are interested in just connecting with you guys, talking about the possibility of working. And we'll give you that link right now. And also, of course, put it in the show notes, but it's practicesoul.com mm-hmm. forward slash John. And that's J-O-H-N if you, if you ever wondered. Um, practice soul, S-O-L dot com forward slash john yep. so i'll put that link in the notes as well but um so and in, in when therapists reach out what is kind of the the next step when when they you know fill out the form yeah so they'll get in touch with um uh jesse who you met um and Great jesse guy. does just a preliminary call right and he'll ask you a bunch of questions about your practice he'll go over what we offer as far as services um he'll go over our contract he'll ask 
he'll get to know you uh, and your practice and find out if you're a good fit. So he does a lot of the screening. Um, and sometimes we determine that we're, we're not a good fit and yeah. we recommend different resources or whatever. Um, cause not everybody, you know, we're not for everybody. Right. And we want to be sensitive to that. Um, and then after Jesse does his thing and talks to you and we've gone through all the steps, you get assigned to a biller here. Um, you get introduced to that biller and the team and we, we go from there. Cool. Sounds pretty yeah. straightforward. Jesse's yeah. also pretty talented at improv and quite the dancer. He is Who quite knew? the dancer. Yeah, I didn't. I certainly didn't know. Um, but yeah, he is a good dancer. Glad we got that on video for later. I also so. like being at Sloan School, and and I hadn't met him yet. And it was like the first night you guys got there. And so for context, we did a silent disco. This is all Joe Sandak's idea. And uh, we did a silent <laughs> disco, and Jesse um, was just cutting a rug, as they say on the dance floor. And I'm like, who is this guy? Does he like? Yeah. Is did he just come out of? the woods is he with like <laughs> is he with someone did joe hire him as like the hype man for the event i, I don't know but then i'm like oh that's jesse from practice solutions and he's just yeah. a, he's a really good really good guy but super uh, dynamic dude grew up i don't know if yeah. you know this but grew up in like peru yeah. and bolivia and has been yep. everywhere and yeah super but, dynamic dude but then can't dance salsa which also blew my mind because I, I requested a salsa song danced dance salsa and i'm like dude you grew up in latin america what's what are you waiting for and he's like i can't do it like he can dance <laughs> any other genre he's out there like head banging and doing like ballroom moves and like yeah. break dancing and then a salsa come the song comes on and he's like i'm out nothing nothing i'm no, out nothing. yeah <laughs> i'm gonna let him know you said that I'm like, dude you need to step that part of your latin flavor up yeah. Um, yeah. well man this has been great so again practice soul.com forward slash john if you guys want to get in touch with jeremy and his team jeremy thanks for being here man always always a pleasure and like i said just gonna have to have you back on we have to make it happen thanks john appreciate it thanks for listening to this episode i hope you enjoyed it don't forget to head to practice soul.com forward slash john to apply to work with Jeremy and his amazing team. Also rate, review, and subscribe to this show wherever you're listening. And don't forget to grab your tickets to the Get Seen Summit at GetSeenSummit.com. I'll see you in October in Philly.